full throttle. It's beautiful. Can't wait for the concerts, and I hope you can go to those this weekend. This is our second week in the Advent series I put together. We're looking at Jesus' birth from four different angles in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 1 and 2. If you brought a Bible, feel free to open up to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be there in just a second. There's an insert in your bulletin to follow along if you like. And if you didn't get an insert, would like one, just raise your hand. Our ushers will be happy to give you one. Or if you'd like to borrow a Bible, they have those too. Last time we looked at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 16 where Matthew outlines Jesus' genealogy as a kind of ancient resume which he uses to authenticate Jesus' claim to be the Messiah and rightful heir to the throne of David. Today we come to the second angle Matthew looks at concerning Jesus' birth. And you notice before he even gets to the account of Jesus' birth, he's doing all these preliminary things, and they're very important in in um, correlation with his whole argument presenting Jesus as the Messiah. But the second angle Matthew brings to bear to authenticate Jesus' claim to be Messiah is numerology. So listen as we look at this for just a few minutes this morning. Matthew 1, I'm going to back up from verse 12 and read through verse 17. Matthew 1, verse 12. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Elikim, and Elikim the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Ahim, Ahim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. After finishing the outline of Jesus' genealogy, I promise that's the last time I'll read through it. So, After finishing that presentation of Jesus' resume to be the rightful king in Israel, he takes it one step further in verse 17, which is fascinating to me, uh, to authenticate Jesus' claim to the throne of David. He's going to use numerology. Now, don't be frightened by that word. Uh, he zeroes in, if you notice, on the number 14 <clears throat> to show us how it's connected to Jesus' birth. <clears throat> now, what he's doing here, just to keep in mind, I mentioned this last time, Matthew's, the focus of Matthew's gospel is a Jewish audience. Uh, and so he's choosing the most persuasive arguments to convince his Jewish readers and hearers that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And today's passage, I think Matthew eloquently presents evidence that Jesus is the promised Messiah on the basis that the numbers add up and point to Jesus alone. 
And that's what we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> I, again, this, this is uh, something that just started to fascinate me as I tried to study this, Matthew, get into Matthew's mind as he presents his case to his Jewish readers. You see, numbers, <clears throat> numerology, numbers in the text of Scripture were and are very significant, especially to ancient and modern Jews, Jewish, the Jewish culture. The earliest Jewish writings we have from around 200 BC call attention to the significance of numbers in the Old Testament scriptures. The ancient rabbis would make numerical observations as part of their biblical interpretations. For example, the rabbis would say, if you add up the, uh, the uh, I should tell you, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet corresponds to a numerical value. So Aleph is one, so on. Uh, and so here's an example of what they did. If you add up the numbers of the name Elohim, which is God, uh, if you add that up in Hebrew, it adds to 86. Uh, which equals the number for the Hebrew word hateva, which is creation. So they made the point, observation, this equivalence leads to the rabbi's conclusion that God's presence is manifested in his creation. They do things like that. Numbers, here's what I'd say about that. Numbers are significant in scripture because it's God who calls attention to them. Uh, and that makes them significant. <clears throat> Each number, if you look through the scriptures, has a special significance and pattern in the scripture, beginning with the number one. Uh, but let me mention a few of the most important ones, just so you get an idea, of, and then we'll take it to where we'll take it to the number 14 today. <clears throat> beginning with, in creation itself in Genesis 1, the number seven becomes very significant. Why? God's the one who makes it significant. That number is huge. Beginning with the very creation itself, God created everything in six days and rested, he said, on the seventh day. This became a pattern he gave his people to follow. In Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day, verses 8 to 11, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do, not do any work, you or your son or daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For, for because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Not only that, we go from there. <clears throat> Several Jewish feast days are seven days long. Uh, by God's instruction. Seven, in other words, throughout the scripture is associated with rest, completion, uh, finality, and celebration, really. The number 10 is also significant. There are 10 commandments, and we could follow the number 10 through the scripture. The number 12 is significant. There are 12 tribes. There are 12 apostles and so on. I could go on and on. I'll give you one more by way of example and then we'll go to 14. Uh, the number 40 
is a prominent number in scripture. Uh, and you, you could trace this through as well. In Genesis 7, verse 12, uh, during the flood, the rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And on Mount Sinai, Exodus 34, 28, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days, 40 nights. Numbers 32, 13, the children of Israel were sent to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And when we come to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 13, Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. I could go on. You get the idea. Numbers are significant because God makes them significant. <clears throat> it's no different what we see Matthew doing here with 14. In the law of Moses, God instructs Israel to count and observe days, weeks, months, and years, very specifically. And I believe, in all honesty, all of that somehow was pointing to Messiah, all of it. Now, I don't have time to take each of those numbers and show you how that happened. I'm just going to take one. But an example, in Leviticus 23, verses 15 and 16, here's where God's, you shall also count for yourselves, count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. 50 is important. The ancient rabbis at the time of Jesus used numbers to prove their biblical arguments. Guess what? That's what Matthew's going to do. Let's look at how Matthew uses the number 14 in a very clever, I think, eloquent way to point us to Jesus the Messiah. So again, verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Messiah, 14 generations. Matthew, what he does with this number 14 is just masterful and cryptic Jewish. It's just beautiful. Notice that, you got to notice this. See, did you see that verse 17 comes after verse 16? <sighs> he just finished Jesus Messiah. He just entered, he brought us to the end point, to Messiah. Then, this is like an add-on, verse 17, for his Jewish audience. You want a little more? Do you realize the numbers add up too? So, Matthew has already established that Jesus descended from the rightful proper lineage to be the promised Messiah. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. God had made a covenant with both Abraham and David that one of their descendants would bless the entire world and reign as king. In verse 17, as I said, I believe, is an add-on 
specifically intended for his Jewish audience. So what was so significant about the number 14 as he counted the generations to Jesus? Now, here's a, there's a number of theories, and I'm just going to put out what I think is the, probably the, uh, the best one. But for instance, some scholars think <clears throat> that Matthew could be pointing us to the number 14 to emphasize that Jesus is the rightful heir to the, David's throne. Why do they say that? Because if you add up the Hebrew letters of the word David, they add up to 14. <clears throat> That's one idea. But I think there's something, something else going on I'd like to suggest. Look, this is, get, the reason I'm saying all this is this is no accident. Matthew is intentional about, <laughs> about the very numbers he's using. And I believe he, he intentionally wants us to, to understand this in messianic terms. That's where this is coming from. This isn't, a, this isn't a, an accident. This is intentional to people who valued the significance of numbers. Some have suggested, and this is where I would lean, <clears throat> that this number 14 points us to the rest and celebration the Messiah comes to bring us. So let me take you through that. The prophecies promised that when Messiah comes, he would bring peace and rest to his people. Isaiah 9, 6, child will be born to us, son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Micah 5, 2, and verse 5, As for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from days of eternity, and this one will be our shalom. Peace. I could go on. The Messiah is linked to this idea of peace, of idea of rest, celebration. So how does the number 14 get us to Messiah's peace and rest? Well, if you notice, the number 14 is a multiple of seven. We've already noted that the number seven, from the very beginning, is associated with rest, completion of God's work. Notice in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, there are three 14s. Why does Matthew use multiples of sevens? I believe it's to link Jesus to the year of Jubilee in Israel. Leviticus 25. In Leviticus 25, <clears throat> Israel was instructed to call a Sabbath year every seventh year. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I'll give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. In other words, rest. Sabbath means to stop. We stop. Six years you shall sow your field. Six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its crops. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. And you shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Your harvests after growth you shall not reap, and your grapes untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a Sabbath year. 
But get this, so every seven years, rest the land. Every seven years, rest the land. But every seven-seventh, ah, oh, that was called the year of Jubilee, 50 years. And Leviticus 25 gives us instruction for what was known as that year of Jubilee, every 50 years in ancient Israel. So you, the scripture describes it by counting by sevens. <clears throat> So here it is in Leviticus 25, 8 to 10. You are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years. So that you have the time of seven Sabbaths of years, namely 49 years. You shall then sound a ram's horn abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound a horn throughout all the land. You shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property. Each of you shall return to his family. So start counting. Every seventh seven, special, special mark for freedom, reconciliation, and all kinds of benefits on that 50th year. Count off seven sevens, 49, and after that, that's Jubilee. The year of Jubilee, I'm telling you, was a year of great celebration in Israel. Every 50th year, everything in Israel was renewed. All debts were canceled. All the slaves were freed. The land was returned to its original owner. Matthew 1.17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14. And from David to deportation to Babylon, 14. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14. Do the math. So Matthew counts 14 generations to 14 generations to 14 generations. 14, 14, 14, that equals six sevens until Christ. The seventh is Jesus himself ushering in the year of Jubilee. That's that's my conviction of what Matthew's doing here. Perhaps Matthew's point is for his Jewish readers is that. Jesus is the seventh seventh. who ushered in the fulfillment of God's promise. Matthew, by the way, could simply be dovetailing with what he heard Jesus say when he began his ministry. Did you you realize in Luke 4, when Jesus started his ministry, he stepped into a synagogue and read from Isaiah about the year of Jubilee. This is being fulfilled right now. Luke 4, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, 
recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim, this is how they call it, jubilee, the, the proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled back up the scroll, gave it to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes were on him, fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What he's saying is, I'm bringing in the year of Jubilee, the fulfillment of that feast. Jesus, of course, was quoting from Isaiah 61, where proclaimed liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, proclaimed the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance for our God. In my mind, it's the best explanation <clears throat> for what Matthew's doing with, with the numbers that he presents in verse 17. I think he's trying to say, I've gone, we've gone through six sevens until we get to Jesus. That's where it stops. The next one is Jubilee. He came to bring it. If this is what Matthew is doing, he's saying Jesus ushered in an unprecedented age for all who believe in him, echoing what Jesus himself said in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He is our rest. Micah says he's our peace. He is the finished work of God. He is the end of the law for justification. He is the life for all who believe in him. He's the end of the line. That's how Matthew presents him. He's the end of the line. He's the fulfillment of everything we've been waiting for through the law and the prophets. So I invite you to believe in him if you have not, that you may receive forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, and become a participant in an amazing celebration of jubilee prophesied throughout the scripture that Messiah would bring. <clears throat> if you have believed in him, it's time to celebrate. You know why? Because he, of what Jesus has done, proclaiming what he said, I'm proclaiming the good news. Your sin debt is canceled. You have been reconciled and returned to the God who made you. You've been set free from the power of sin and death. You have begun a whole new life with Christ who promises to complete your redemption in full when he returns. I can't think, I can't think of any other better reason to celebrate during this season than that. So, when you think of Christmas, think Jubilee. He's the end of the line. Jesus is. For all that God planned to do for us, in us. And uh, this is just the first fruits that we're seeing now when he gave us the Holy Spirit to become his sons and daughters. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your mercy and grace toward us. 
through faith in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophetic expectations. And thank you for Matthew's help in allowing us to enter into uh, his observations, his, uh, under the inspiration of the Spirit, his leading to guide us to uh, Jesus, who is the rightful heir to the throne of David, who is the Savior who takes away our sins, who is, in fact, the one who all the feasts were pointing to, all the celebrations were about, what he would come to do on our behalf. We thank you for that truth and commit the rest of our time together to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jim. That was excellent. I love the harmony between the Old and New Testament, how that just uh, sinks so well. This is the time of our service where we reach the point where we give back to the Lord what he has given us. Uh, visitors, don't feel obligated.